I have a cat, and they see things that we don't. So I feel like that that's a rule of cats. I don't know what he's looking at, but it's something. <laughs> Hi and welcome to episode of Cinenation. My name is Brayden Sparks. And here on Cinenation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And welcome to part three of our series on Christmas films. Today, I am joined by Sean Randall, returning from our musical series a few months back. Sean, welcome back to the show. Hello. And we're talking about a musical in a way. It, no, it's an, it is. <laughs> it's a musical. It's a, it's a musical. <laughs> it's a musical, but I have thoughts. Okay. I have thoughts, and we'll go into it. Before we dive into today's movie, a little housekeeping is in order. As I said in the last episode, Sonation Podcast is getting close to our 200th episode, and we need your help with putting it together. Thomas and I will be sitting down to answer questions from our listeners, but we need questions from you guys. Yeah, we'll actually be in person is the plan. It's going to be crazy. We never do anything in person. We're doing it in person. I'll be going to Atlanta. So if you have a question for Thomas or, or me or about the history of the show, movies you've covered or pretty much anything we'll try to answer it to the best of our abilities you can submit your question through our social media channels like facebook twitter and instagram you can also email us at sanationpodcast at gmail.com and finally you can also give us a call at 818-514-5714 and leave a voicemail with your question on it again the number is 818-514-5714 and if you haven't given us a rating or review we tremendously appreciate that that's all we ask for this holiday season is a five-star review from you. But now, on with this show. So this month, we've been discussing Christmas films. We've been looking at this genre and how it works. Now, there are a lot of different types of Christmas films. Like last year, we talked about Christmas-adjacent films with Batman Returns and the works of Shane Black. But this year, we're really diving into how the spirit of Christmas is portrayed in a more serious light. And a lot of these movies we've been discussing this month are kind of introspective films about one's life, or about passing on the spirit of Christmas to others. Uh, goodwill towards men, peace on earth, all that. And a lot of this genre spurs from Charles Dickens' novel, A Christmas Carol. And today, we are finally tackling Dickens' story in a different way. Um, but in a different way with the movie we're talking about. Sean, did you want to add anything about the, the literature stuff we've been talking about with Charles Dickens? Uh, yeah, it's more about the three spirits of Christmas. Uh, well, <laughs> the three spirits. Spirit of Christmas. Um, it's the it's it's it's, it's the Christmas spirit. Is what I would well, say. Well, yeah, but it's it's interesting when you talk about like the origins, like coming from Charles Dickens and stuff. Charles Dickens was obviously influenced by other writers. Telling ghost stories, in particular, was mm -hmm. apparently. A tradition, a, a Christmas tradition, ghost stories got told all the time, which is why the, A Christmas Carol, even though it is nominally Christian mm -hmm. and it has religious elements to it, God bless us, everyone, you know, there are religious elements to it, but it still feels like a bit of a secular story because we have ghosts and it's not about Jesus, it's about uh, the past and the future and these random spirits and things like that and it's also interesting when you look at the history of christmas in england if you go back to perhaps the most famous british writer before dickens uh william shakespeare mm -hmm. you notice that he doesn't talk about christmas ever there are three times that he ever mentions christmas in his plays and they're all to make fun of it 
because <laughs> at the time... I love how specific we're getting with this. Yes. Continue. Continue. This is the little bit of research I did. <laughs> this is a little bit of research I did. So but Shakespeare. The, yeah. the, the Shakespeare mentions Christmas three times as a form of mockery. Like, because at the time, the Christmas traditions in England were dinky little plays. It was not a big deal holiday. Mm-hmm. You, you had people putting on crappy little plays, terrible acting. Shakespeare thought it was garbage theater. You know, so he's mocking it. But by the time uh, I think Queen Victoria came around, they started importing traditions from Germany, Christmas traditions, and started importing the importance of Christmas and making it more central to the religious aspects. And so it starts to develop the traditions that Dickens is talking about in the story where you have the feast and you have, mm-hmm. you know, you, you spend a day roasting the bird and everybody gets the day off and everybody closes the shops and everything. Yeah. Um, so Dickens clearly influenced by outside elements, influenced by storytelling traditions, mm-hmm. but I think it is potentially arguable. Obviously go find an academic that knows more than myself or Brandon. <laughs> on this. But I would say it is potentially arguable that Dickens is a Christmas Carol is the most solidifying mm-hmm. basis for the Western tradition of telling yeah. Christmas tales from then on, from 1846 or whatever year it was t- to the future. They are, yeah, they are pretty much informed in a secular way mm-hmm. by what Dickens wrote. Yeah, well, that's I mean, that's that's good context to bring in terms of just like I mean, it's more of a life as a movie we talked about uh, two weeks mm-hmm. ago, where it's like it it's it is religious to an extent. I mean, it's a it deals with angels and and Joseph and God, um, and so that's kind of kind of tying in with this with a little bit with Christmas Carol in a way. We're we're referencing a Christmas Carol a lot, as I said, because we're talking about Christmas Carol Day, but we're talking about today the 1992 film The Muppet Christmas Carol. And the film stars Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge and the rest of the Muppet gang as they explore the world and language of Dickens and one of in this very faithful, I feel like, adaptation of the novel. And so if you don't know the story, on Christmas Eve, Scrooge is visited by three ghosts to show him the past, oh. present. I'm sorry, three spirits to show him the past, present and of oh, four. OK, you're going to count Marley. OK, Marley. Scrooge is visited by his old, in this movie, his two old business partners to warn him that three spirits will be visiting him uh, tonight on Christmas Eve. And that will be his ghost of Christmas uh, past, ghost of Christmas present, and ghost of... uh, Christmas yet to come. Yeah, Christmas yet to come. Thank you. In hopes that he'll become a better human being. Uh, This film is currently streaming on Disney+. Plus. Uh, If you have not seen it or need to rewatch, and it's available to rent on all other platforms so sean you picked this movie today and why did you pick this film so when i looked over the list of christmas films turns out i haven't seen terribly many (laughs) christmas films honestly i only watched a christmas story for the first time in my life back in 2011 i think so a decade Uh, ago which is a decade ago (laughs) but 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 I'm you know I was in my twenties at that time. Most yeah. people saw it as a kid. Uh, people my age, um, grow, you know that I'm a fan of the Muppets, big fan yeah. of the Muppets. And growing up, we had four VHSs of the Muppets. 
One of them was a straight to VHS, a uh, Muppet uh, classic theater or something. Yeah, had, like, I remember Rumble that one. Still skin Rumble still skin. Emperor's, Emperor's New Clothes, I believe. Yeah. yeah, fun fun stuff, fun stuff. But the three theatrically released ones that we had were the uh, the Muppet movie, the mm-hmm. first one, the Great mm-hmm. Muppet Caper, the second one, and then a Muppet Christmas Carol, which skipped over Muppets Take Manhattan. Yeah, I was like, you're like, forget that one. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Muppets. I'm a huge fan of musicals. Uh, when they're done well, Muppets make good musicals, and this this was my Christmas film growing up. This was the one, this and Nightmare Before Christmas, which you can argue, is it a Christmas film? I don't know. Uh, or is it Halloween? It's both. That's the answer. Moving on. Those two films were the films that I watched every Christmas. So yeah, you love the Muppets. That's the big issue. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what what are your kind of, your initial reactions when revisiting it this time my initial reactions would be one i'm not as scared at the scary parts anymore <laughs> god sean there were look the 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 door knocker and the 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 entirety of the scene with christmas future as mm-hmm. a kid those were kind of creepy sequences. yeah they are yeah but <clears throat> like legitimately i was thinking when i was watching it the special effects are pretty good like the effects are pretty good. They they're a little janky, but they don't feel yeah. 1992 janky. Like <laughs> I've seen I've seen way worse effects from way more recent films. Yeah. Um two the music by and large still holds up. Like legitimately some of those songs I may not have seen the full movie, but I've definitely played some of those songs mm-hmm. within, you know, the past few months cuz some of those songs will just pop back into my head yeah. and get stuck in my head. And I love them. And three Michael Caine has been a powerhouse actor for so long, and he still powerhouse actor. Just a great. I- I've always thought he had a great performance in that, and he still does. I'll say, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I mean, I, this is saying it early, but I'll say this: that I don't think this movie works if Kane isn't in it, or if someone who is doesn't give like as. Yeah. I guess straight performance. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we'll get into it later, but like, Miles Kane was very adamant. Like, I'm gonna play this like I'm working with just the biggest actors in the world to to make this like a traditional Christmas Carol telling. And I think that's what really makes it hold up is because he plays. It. Yeah, I think I think it's a big because uh, I I don't know who else you get because there's a few names we'll we'll have later on, but I think Kane is kind of this perfect combination of drama and comedy where like it's like he smartly says i'm gonna play it so dramatic that you're gonna laugh in the funny moments because i'm so dramatic and he doesn't he also never hams yeah no he he, he, there there i feel like in certain retellings of this story especially the animated versions yeah there's a propensity to make scrooge a caricature Caricature, yeah. yeah yeah but this version of Scrooge never feels like a caricature. No. Maybe there are a couple moments that are on the border, like when he's throwing a wreath at a tiny fluffy rabbit. <laughs> but it's he sells it. He sells yeah. it. It's, it's like, yeah, I could see him throwing that wreath at that thing. He hates it. He hates that little thing. So let's talk about, I'll tell you, kind of the history of how this movie got into production. And so a lot of stuff on the internet, looked at a lot of sources, some big sources coming from... Uh, some interviews with Brian Henson, the director, 
uh, and Jim Henson's son with the Guardian and Up Rocks and kind of a lot of places. So when discussing the history of this movie, I'll provide a little bit of context of what was happening with the Muppets beforehand. And Sean, you can jump in here if you want to add any other piece of information. But I'll be kind of brief with this. After having success with the children's educational program, Sesame Street, Jim Henson was looking at creating a more adult-themed variety show. And he began working with ABC, where they developed two pilot episodes from Henson's creations known as The Muppets. However, ABC rejected both pilots, one which was done in 1974 and the other which was done in 1975. Henson would soon send the pilot around the industry, but no one in the U.S. wanted to make the show, feeling it was geared too much toward kids. Henson soon began work on the first season of Saturday Night Live, where he created puppets for certain sketches, but there was conflict with Henson and the writers uh, and producers of SNL. Several writers uh, refused to write for uh, Henson's puppets, which created tensions between Henson's camp and Saturday Night Live. However, Henson's experience in the show would help him mold his idea, but would later be known as The Muppet Show. He even said he gained a lot of friendships from some of the celebrities that appear on the show, with some of them later appearing on The Muppet Show. So during this time, Lou Grade, a British media uh, proprietor of ATV station, became aware of Henson's project. He was a fan of puppets, is what it was. And Grade offered Henson a deal to program The Muppet Show on ATV's ITV network. A lot of TVs in there. Uh, while also putting it into syndication international markets, Henson would soon move his production operation to England, where they would make the show. In the U.S., CBS became interested in programming the show now that it was off the ground. The show premiered in the United Kingdom and the U.S. in September 1976, and by January 1977, only a few months later, over 100 countries had either acquired the series for syndication or were making offers to do so. Needless to say, off of that, it was a massive hit, and it would run for five years, while also creating a large media franchise in the process. Henson would soon end The Muppet Show to focus more on making theatrical films, especially after the success of The Muppet Movie and The Great Muppet Caper. The final Muppet film in the 1980s would come in 1984 with Muppets Take Manhattan. And soon after, Henson would begin focusing on more non-Muppet-related projects like The Dark Crystal, Fraggle Rock, and Labyrinth. In August 1989, Henson and Disney CEO Michael Eisner began discussing a possible merger between the Jim Henson Company and the Walt Disney Company. The reported value of the possible deal was $150 million, which is about $330 million today. Eisner had been aware of Henson for a long time because he was the president of ABC when Henson was created those failed Muppet pilots at ABC, and Eisner always liked Henson's work, even though they didn't put it on. Another part of the deal would be a 15-year contract with Disney for Henson's personal creative services, as the contract said. The main thing the deal did not include was the rights to the Sesame Street characters. However, this deal would come to a screeching halt when Jim Henson tragically and unexpectedly passed away at the age of 54 due to toxic shock syndrome, which is it was like bacterial pneumonia is what it was. After Henson's death, the Jim Henson company was in kind of a, a flux, basically. Um, they weren't sure what the company was going to do. After his death, talent agent and co-founder of CAA, a big talent agency in Los Angeles, Bill Haber approached Henson's son, Brian, with the idea of adapting Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol with the Muppets. 
Haber had become Brian's agent and the Muppets agent after Henson's death. Brian was not initially interested in doing another Muppets film because he didn't want there to be a comparison between him and his father. He said he didn't want to just make a Muppets movie number four where they're all performers. While Brian was thinking this over about a Disney or a Muppets Christmas Carol, Haber called back saying that he had sold the idea to ABC for a TV movie. So this was going to happen. Jerry Jewell, a writer for The Muppet Show and one of the writers of The Muppet Movie and The Great Muppet Caper, began working on a script for the Dickens adaptation. Initially, the plan was for the film to be an irreverent comedy with the characters overtly poking fun at the source material. Robin the Frog, who eventually played Tiny Tim, and or Scooter were in talks to be Ghost of Christmas Past. Miss Picky was going to be the Ghost of Christmas Present. And Animal Organzo was going to be the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come. What are your thoughts on that, Sean? Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it would have been... I think my thoughts on that um, are just that it would have been a very different film. Mm-hmm. And it would have been... And I understand how they come up with that idea because that's more in keeping with the parodic nature of, of the, Muppets. the Muppet show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Brian Henson soon realized, or I, don't, I think it was Brian, maybe other people soon realized that none of the previous film adaptations of A Christmas Carol had truly captured the beauty of Dickens's, Dickens' language, basically. Mm-hmm. So they decided to have Dickens be a character in the film as its narrator. Brian and his team asked the question, who is the least likely Muppet to be Charles Dickens? And someone's like, Gonzo. And that's why, and, and Brian has said on record that he thinks about 95% of Gonzo's dialogue is lifted from the novel from 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 dickens novella so due to this the idea of using pre-existing muppet characters was also scrapped in favor of creating new characters in hopes that it would underline the story's ominous nature but also capture the original description in the original story the script was then submitted to abc for approval but executives at walt disney pictures found out about it and offered to purchase the script as a feature film instead of being a TV movie because the script ended up being better than expected. Because at this point, Walt Disney does not own ABC. I just want to clarify that. There's a relationship, but they don't yeah. own ABC. That's a little bit later. That's like towards the end of the of the decade, I believe. But there, there's a working relationship because yeah. ABC's, I think, still doing like Wonderful World of Disney and all that. So at the beginning of 1991, Brian Henson would become president of Jim Henson Company but he was also asked to direct the Muppet Christmas Carol. Brian said there was already so much pressure from running the company that he had not wanted to direct the movie because he was terrified of doing it. He asked several directors his father loved, but they all said that he should be directing it, not them. Brian would finally agree to direct it at the age of 28, running a company with, with a very big, um, I guess, IP and then now directing a film. And you're 28 years old and you went from being a puppeteer to president of a company. I mean, there's there's a nepotism to it, but also oh, yes. Yes. in this case, it's less it feels less like nepotism and more like he's the most appropriate person to carry on the legacy. That's kind of the thing. The, yeah, because it, it, it's not nepotism so much as like Jim Henson was the Muppets. Yeah. Who better? And he was and it son. wasn't and it wasn't like Brian wasn't doing like puppeteering in the in the group. 
he was one of the people he was working on labyrinth and working on a lot of the films so like, it wasn't like he was just like oh we need someone to replace him let's just bring the son who's not doing anything he was working the final big hurdle of pre-production would be the casting of the famous character of ebenezer scrooge Henson looked at several people, including a few comedians, but they soon realized they needed a real dramatic actor for the part, and they decided on Michael Caine. I've also heard that Caine like, actively pursued the role when he heard about it because he always wanted to work with the Muppets, is what I heard. There was a rumor, I read something online that he originally wanted to be on the Muppet show, but they were in the UK. And at that point, he was living in the US. And because <laughs> of some like tax reasons, this happened yeah. a lot back then, he was not able to go back to the UK. And like all of his friends were doing the Muppet show. And he was just like, damn it, I want to work with the Muppets. And so he moved back to the UK and heard they're doing the Muppet Christmas Carol. He's like, hey, I finally have a shot to do this. So when Kane first met Brian Henson, he told him, I'm going to play Scrooge like I'm acting with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I'm never going to wink to camera. I'm not going to adjust my performance at all because it's puppets. I'm going to pretend this is a very, very sincere, dramatic telling of a Christmas carol because I think that will be the funniest choice. And so now they have Scrooge. Production begins at Shepherd and Studios in England. And that leads us into our favorite scenes. So Sean... Give me one of your favorite scenes. Absolutely one of my favorite scenes. And one of the songs that I always go back to randomly because it's forever in my head mm -hmm. is Marley and Marley. <laughs> Marley and Marley. And not just the song, but also the lead up to it when when Statler and Waldorf are revealed as Jacob and Robert Marley, I think. Jacob and Robert Marley. They they invented Robert Marley for, yes. so that they could have the two hecklers. Yes. Um, I, I've told you off off camera, but uh, I went and read the story for the first time, mm -hmm. uh, A Christmas Carol for the first time, because I had always heard that, yeah, they they lifted they a, a lot, lot yeah. of the language. And you mentioned, you know, they wanted to, none of the previous versions had shown the beauty of uh, Dickens's language. And Dickens is a very funny guy, actually. Mm -hmm. Like reading this story, there's a lot of little jokes that are just clever uh and and land well but also there's there is a poetry to his language and i always love the line and it is lifted straight from from the uh the original story where statler and waldorf say why do you not believe your senses and he says because a little thing uh can can trick the mind or something like that and he says you could be a a, a blob of mustard a, a bit of cheese uh, 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 this, you know, yes, yeah. there is more of gravy than of grave about you. <laughs> and that is straight from Dickens, but it works because Statler and Waldorf immediately laugh and go leave joking to the bears, which works for the Muppets because they're talking about Fozzie Bear. Everybody who knows the Muppets knows Statler and Waldorf heckle Fozzie Bear and Fozzie Bear is the comedian of the group. Mm -hmm. So they're making a Muppets reference. But it works for the story, too, because literally that's what happens in the story. And then you go into the song, which is a fun little song, but also shows how dark it can get. Yeah, it's a great intro. I mean, I, I think I think a lot of the Scrooge stuff, I mean, I, I like all of Mal Kane stuff, that entire mm -hmm. movie. But I really think they do a good job of like introducing Scrooge and the tone of this world. Like, mm -hmm. I, I love the kind of like the Scrooge walking through London, through London or whatever. Yeah, London. And that is that is definitely one of my other two favorite yeah. scenes is that opening sequence 
And I think you talked about it in a, a much, much earlier episode when y'all talked about Hook. Yeah. Uh, there's the sequence where you don't see Captain Hook, mm-hmm. and he's, you see him in profile for a brief moment, but the camera is trying to hide Hook until the reveal. And the same thing, they do the same thing in the movie. They do. Where... Scrooge walks out, but the lighting and the camera's down below yeah, him. He's a silhouette. And then you see nothing but his feet as everybody sings about him and talks about what a terrible person he is. And then you have interjections from Gonzo, again, lifting from the original uh, wording. Scrooge liked the cold. He was hard and sharp as a flint, secret and self-contained, as solitary as an oyster. There goes Mr. Heartless. There goes Mr. Cruel. He never gives, he only takes, takes. he lets his hunger rule. And being means the way of life, you practice and rehearse. Then all that work is being off, cause Scrooge is getting worse. Every day, in every way, Scrooge is getting worse. I really love the whole sequence with the Ghost of Christmas Present. Like, that's kind of my favorite, like, sequence of the spirits or whatever just his part i just yeah i think his part i think kane i think and and this will lead to later i think kane is like that's when you're first seeing him kind of like screw just lightening up more and beginning to realize the error of his ways because the ghost of christmas present is so jolly like i love when he's know me better he's just kind of because like kane's just like i don't think i've ever met anyone like you (laughs) that's what he says at one point he's like i have 1300 brothers what do you mean yeah uh so i i really just love that and then it goes into the sequence of like uh uh it feels like christmas the day of Mm. which which i love i think i think i think that whole very memorable song yeah I, i think it's a very I think that's the problem. Here's here's the one thing I said about this movie. This is kind of a problem with me talking about the music. I feel like every song almost is like, thank God it's Christmas. I feel like each song feels that way outside of Marley to me. It's like it's tis the season. It's the spirit of or it's it feels like Christmas. I feel like a lot of them are are, are somewhat similar yeah, in what they're I think, saying. I think we, we I was going to talk about that a little bit later, but there are some songs to me, even to me, the yeah. musical guy, the guy who's only been brought on to talk <laughs> about musicals so far. <laughs> there are some songs like rewatching it where I was like, I didn't even remember that one. Yeah. Like some of them are stuck in my head forever and some of them just don't work as well. Yeah. I, I just feel it feels like repetitive beats in moments. I know this is favorite scenes, but I think it's worth bringing up because I think it's it's it's, it's important to say it because that's what makes those certain songs, I think, are so good. You're starting off with an interesting musical with like, you have the Scrooge intro song. You have the you have the Marley song. Those are your good intros, and the rest are just like it feels like Christmas. Tis the and, season. And, or, yeah, one Marley more, is one a more bit sleep. of a confrontation. Yeah, one more sleep till Christmas. Those are all kind of like it's about Christmas is coming, guys. So yeah, it's like everything else feels like motivated, and the rest feels just like decoration, pun intended. That's what kind of feels like. But I still like some of the certain moments within those songs. Like I still like some of the moments in One More Sleep Till Christmas. But I think I like it more just like them out in the streets of London, not the song yeah. fully. But uh, it feels like Christmas. I just because that's like where you see like I think that character is just so jolly, and I think it brings mm-hmm. something out of Scrooge. Where it's a well-made new Muppet as well. It's a well, it's a very well-made new Muppet. Come in and know me better, man. <laughs> You're a little absent-minded spirit. No, I'm a large absent-minded spirit. <laughs> my mind is filled with the here and now, and the now is 
Christmas! <laughs> I don't believe I've ever met anybody like you before, sir. Really? Over 1,800 of my brothers have come before me. 1,800? Imagine the grocery bills. <laughs> have you ever noticed that everything seems wonderful at Christmas? Uh, in all honesty, spirit, no. Perhaps I, I've never understood about Christmas. Before this day is done, you will understand. Oh. <laughs> One more thing I like talking about kind of the creepy nature or weird nature. I love Scrooge and his tombstone at the end. Because Kane gives just a gut-wrenching performance <laughs> in this moment when he sees that his name is on the uh the tombstone and he's begging the ghosts of uh of Christmas yet to come of like let him like let him live basically re-watching re it i will say that like i think kane did a very good job of leading to the tombstone yeah that to me that's the one of the best parts is through the entirety of the christmas future thing and i think that they actually did this better than dickens did i think it, it wasn't super clear in the original story if scrooge really was surprised to find out yeah oh they were talking about me yeah how was i to know yeah whereas kane it feels like you start to get this feeling i think he knows yeah i think he even says i think it. he knows yeah. but he keeps pretending oh who could they be talking about who could yeah. they be talking about but then once they get to the gravestone and he stops, I think, three times to turn around to the spirit and say, you know, he says, a man can change yeah. because he knows what name is going to be on that. Yeah, tombstone. well, because he says, he says to him, I think, I says to the, to, the, to the ghost after they're like trying to sell his stuff off. He's like, yeah, he's kind of well, he like, said, I know what you're trying to show me. Yeah, but he doesn't necessarily say, oh, I know it's about me. Yeah, it's. Whoever this guy is, I'm on the same path. I get it. I should change. But I think I think the way Kane performed the the walk to the tombstone, yeah, sort of reveals that he was lying to himself to make him try and feel better, and he couldn't run away from that once he got to the tombstone. Yeah, at that point he had to admit he knows whose name is on. Yeah, it, I, which is a really good moment. I think. I think. I think his performance. It's like he does. I think over. I think the, over the entire movie. This will segue into my next thing. I think he realizes that he is aware that like he is living a bad life and he has to make a change, but mm -hmm. he's in this thing. He has to go through all three ghosts. He can't get out of it. He's got to go through it. And so you guys that change that leads me to the point I want to talk about of one of my favorite scenes mm -hmm. that is not in the movie, mm -hmm. depending on which version you have. Yeah. Depending on which version you have. And that is the, when love is gone sequence when um when scrooge it's in the ghost of christmas past for those that because it's now in, it's an extra on disney plus right now it's not in the current format um it's on some it's on, on some of the dvd releases they're trying to release it next year and i'll go into that later i'll yeah i'll tell you Ooh. ask me about that later because I, I, I can't I have it written down but ask that later because i i will write it down because i because I, I have i have more info on that it's when scrooge is in his past and he's watching his younger young adult self probably in his 20s 
and he is in he is seeing this woman in love with this woman bell who he's basically just pushing off and pushing off. oh we'll get married next year we'll get married next year the the finances are not right we're not i don't feel comfortable getting married we can't go buy a house and the whole thing is that it's it's her basically saying you loved me once and the love is gone that's when that's the whole bit is that when the love is gone and it's his heart-wrenching scene where she's singing basically saying goodbye to scrooge and kane and his older self watching it is realizing the error of his ways in this moment in time and when watching it this time i realized it because that's it's a lifted from the disney plus version it's still not in there it ends with her saying like you did love me once and then it just cuts to like rizzo and rizzo crying and then kane's just like in tears and you're like wait what happened because it's such a odd jump and so mm-hmm. when watching it this time what's what hurts is it literally hurts the entire movie it's mm-hmm. the turn it's both the turning point of of scrooge and it can come back later as the emotional payoff for the entire film when they when it's now when love is found uh in the final song and when you take that song out it like it diminishes the entire point of the film and it's kind of insane to look at just like this one song. They're like, and we'll go, I'll go more in depth on that later, but I just like, we got to take that out because kids are falling asleep. Yeah. I, I will say that uh, I would argue that there, there's an emotional point in every, uh, uh, each of the three spirits. Yes. We talked about the gravestone, big emotional hit. And we, the, the tying Tim. Yes. Revelation toward the end of the, each, each revelation. Yeah. It has the end of it. Kind of happens yes. at the end. And, but that one, and each one is important in its own way. Yes. That one is him remembering how to feel. And if he doesn't remember how to feel. He can't feel he the can't rest of the time. <laughs> the rest of them. And I will say that from an editing standpoint, the cut is good. The cut works as an edit because she stands up, she walks to, yes. to the right, and then she comes off from screen left going left to right. It looks fine from that standpoint. But an emotional standpoint. But yeah, watching it this time, I was like, oh, why are they crying? She just said, ah, you used to love me. And then they're just all of a sudden crying. It's like, and Kane's like, that's some fast tears. And Kane's like, <laughs> Kane's like on the, like, mm-hmm. is, is and like, don't show me crying. anymore. Don't show me anymore. I don't want to see anymore. And you're like, wait, how do we go from zero to a hundred like that? And, and when you watch because again, if you can go watch the extra, it's on YouTube as well. When you watch it and you see how he progresses through the song, you're just like, God, this is a great performance. This is amazing performance. And I will say, thank goodness that my VHS version <laughs> had that song because yeah. the, I, I I don't know. That I think it my DVD in my, my top list. Yeah, my DVD version does have it. And so that's that was like until I think a few years ago I realized, oh wait, this song is not in the movie. Um, and we'll get more into that later, but yeah, I, I, it's honestly, it's in my top three scenes of the movie and it's not in the movie yep, is the thing. Same. Cause I think it's, That's my third I thing, think yeah. it's also when talking about the musical, the musical aspect of this movie, I think it's the one that really hits what a movie musical does mm-hmm. is the thing. I think that's what's so odd. They cut it is because like the rest just feels like it's Christmas as I was saying. Yeah. And this one feels like this is a character who is giving you their entire thoughts and like it's a soliloquy it's soliloquy yeah exactly and 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 i think that the moment the like 
10 words or whatever that Scrooge joins in, older Scrooge joins. Yeah. Brilliant. It just so much brilliance in that, and it's all cut. Yeah, it's all cut. Because <laughs> it, like, and, and Kane's just the way he's watching her and just like crying. Because again, then that brings in this whole thing of the ending of when he's sitting down with everyone and saying when love is found. Mm-hmm. It's saying that his past is showcasing as part of his present mm-hmm. and as part of his future. It's the whole purpose of the movie. And that was, it was infuriating to me watching it. This, honestly, it was, I was just so upset. I was so upset. And I didn't think I would be. I didn't, because I, because I, I like this movie. I don't love this movie. But as like a storytelling thing, I was like, this is just so stupid. How in the hell did this get cut? Because here's the thing you hear stories about this all the time. This has happened before at Disney. Uh, they wanted to cut part of your world out of Little Mermaid because for a very similar reason, it slows the movie down. And and, and Howard Ash was like, over my dead body, basically. Mm-hmm. You're not cutting this song because it's the whole purpose of the film. Or even... even I think go- when we talked about Sweeney Todd, there was a moment where uh, Tim Burton wanted to cut. Yeah, Sondheim said no. Yeah. And Sondheim said no because it's important musically, thematically, you have to have this moment to have the later moments. Yeah. And I think Ashman is the same way. You have to have part of your world to have later moments for her. I mean, the other the other big ones go back even 60 years before this, since The Wizard of Oz. They want to cut over the rainbow because like, it slows it down because it's just this woman, it's just this girl sitting in a Kansas field singing you about her once. the one- only song yeah. that anyone remembers. The, the song, it's, just, it's just about this girl singing about her once and dreams. Who cares about that? That's like They literally wanted to cut it. it was, I mean, I think it was cut and they were like, we're putting this back in. Someone was like, we're doing this. There's usually always someone steps in like last minute, like, no, this song mm. needs to stay this is the whole movie and then everyone loves the song and this time that just didn't happen it just got cut love is gone love is gone i wish you well but i must leave you now alone it was almost love it was almost away I do love the ending. I do like when love is found and the turn of Scrooge and the classic kind of joyful moment of Christmas. Um, I do enjoy. It, it's nice that they bring back the ghost of Christmas present, like the voice of him in the end credits. Yeah. yeah. As it, as, as it's starting to roll, you hear him laughing and you hear, da, 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 da. you hear that music getting brought back in a little bit. Great, great little thing. Just yeah. a just a nice little touch to the end. It's a it's a solid ending. Yeah, and again, to and that, one more last thing to up ramp too. Uh, yes, yeah, the ending. It's that I do also like the Tiny Tim's death when they come back and realize the Tiny Tim has died. What a thing to say! <laughs> Loved Tiny Tim's. It's death. a great. It's a great. It's a great scene. It's well, yeah, I th- yeah, I think too because to bring to, <laughs> to bring in context of this movie, it's like. We said this with the Muppets earlier on are like they're very like irreverent comedy and this and this is a very heartfelt movie. It's a very emotional movie. Now we don't think enough, but for the Muppets, this is like it's like seeing it's like seeing a comedian who only does comedies all of a sudden like 
go for that Oscar movie in a way, a bigger comparison, but like it's, it's, it's very much like it's a turn that maybe people weren't expecting at that time. I think that Muppets take Manhattan attempted a emotional hit with that because the movie starts with the Muppets separating. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it starts with a wedding, uh, Kermit and Miss Biggie, but then they all break up. And then there's this emotional stuff. But for me, it didn't work. I, I I also didn't see it as a kid. And I know a lot of people that saw it as a kid love that movie. Mm-hmm. I saw it as an adult. I didn't like it that much in comparison to the other Muppet movies in particular. This one, you're right. I think this one nails that emotionality. I think uh, it's comparable in my mind to in 2011, you have Jason Siegel writes a new Muppet movie, and he's a huge Muppets freak. Mm-hmm. He loves Muppets. You can see it in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, with the Dracula musical. Yeah. That's that's Jason Siegel uh, all over. And there's a song in that one. Uh, there's a couple of emotional songs, but there's one where Kermit sings uh, about the pictures in his head, mm-hmm. and he's just walking along and seeing the Muppets, and they've been separated for so many years now and haven't been together huge emotional gut punch and i think being able to do that in 2011 was predicated by it working so well here in 1992 because i don't think it worked as well in muppets take manhattan but they nailed it in this movie and that opens the gates for the muppets to be like yeah you know what we can do this yeah from time to time we can take a serious breath and recognize yeah this is a moment this is a moment to have Something more than just laughs. How's the churchyard? Well, it'll be lovely, Emily. It would have done you good to see how green the place is. I I picked a spot for Tim where he can see. Uh, it's it's a spot on the hill, and you can see the ducks on the river. Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim always loved watching the ducks on the river. Oh, spirit. Must there be a Christmas that brings this awful scene? How can we endure it? It's all right, children. Life is made up of meetings and partings. That is the way of it. I am sure we shall never forget Tiny Tim or this first parting that there was among us. So let's move on to onset life. So production for The Muppet Christmas Carol began on June 11th, 1992 initially brian henson was feeling a lot of pressure in directing the first muppet project back after his father's death he said that disney executive jeffrey katzenberg could see that he was an emotionally fragile environment and he kept his production team away from the shooting of the film i'll state that there uh brian states that everyone helped him out tremendously he gives a lot of credit to frank oz a director of his own right and muppet puppeteer he states that it was a wonderful atmosphere and a very supportive environment. Everything seemed to calm down once shooting began because they all realized how touching and heartfelt the story was compared to anything the Muppets had done previously, as we were saying. But Brian wasn't the only one nervous about the project. Majority of the main puppeteers, because I think it was only like four main puppeteers they had at this moment in time because of Henson's death and also Richard Hunt, who had passed away previously who gets a, a dedication to get the film he passed away of aids around i think 91 or 1990 um so they were very shorthanded and like their traditional core group people 
So a lot of people had to take on jobs they'd never done before. So Steve Whitemire, who was the puppeteer and voice for Rizzo and several other characters, had to step into the role of Kermit, Kermit the Frog, the role that Jim Henson always played. He was requested by Brian and Mary Henson. Okay. He was specifically asked to step into the role of Kermit because Jim Henson dying... Jim Henson was Kermit. Kermit. Yeah. He just was. And you don't have Muppets without Kermit. So I think, I don't know exactly when that happened, but I feel like it happened a little bit before this movie. Probably. Like that, that, that it was officially offered to Steve because he had been an understudy for, for Jim. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Steve Whitmire coming in, this is his first feature film as Kermit. This is the, this is, this is the world hearing Steve Whitmire, and if you go back and you listen to Jim Henson's Kermit and you listen to Steve Whitmire's Kermit, you'll find they are notably different. Yeah. Rainbow Connection versus uh, you know, one more night one, till yeah, Christmas. Yeah, one more sleep till one Christmas. One more sleep till Christmas. Yeah. These are two, two very notably different voices singing and, and that's going to upset some people. So I can see him being nervous. And Whitmire said he goes, we, he didn't feel like he had the same type of voice uh, at all. He's the night before they pre-recorded the songs to the film, he couldn't sleep because he kept thinking... I really want this to be good. This means so much to everybody. He then says, he then stated that night before the recording, he had a dream where Jim Henson came to him and told him his nerves would pass. And he believed that dream gave him the confidence to actually make the film uh, and do Kermit. Visited by the ghost of Muppets. Very, very much so. There you go. Uh, the next person, Dave Goals, the voice and performer of Gonzo, was also nervous because he was taking over the role of Waldorf from Henson. He said that all of them had been grieving up to the production of the film. He said after Henson passed away, Brian Henson called a meeting the day he passed away, like 5 p.m., asking the entire team if they wanted to continue with the Muppets and the work they were doing without Jim. And they basically all said, this is our lives work. We have to keep going. Goals said that the production was cathartic for all of them because of how loving the production was. It seems the only person who didn't worry as much the first or when making it was Michael Caine uh, because he didn't realize till halfway through the production, the film was actually Brian Henson's directorial debut. He thought he had directed <laughs> films before. He was literally shocked when he found out Henson, it was Brian's first film and he talked about how incredible job he did as a director. Caine didn't have much to worry about, but he did say it was one of the hardest roles he had done, but one of his favorites. For one... It was the first Muppet film that had a human in the lead role. So he's acting with puppets. He's acting with puppets in every scene. Due to that, they had to build the sets that would accommodate Kane and the Muppet performers. They built the walking areas on planks so that Kane could Mm -hmm. walk above everyone and the performers did not appear on screen. They said the planks were about two feet wide. And because he was acting, he could not look down with his head, at least, to make sure where he was walking. So he could easily have, have fallen possibly into... Oh yeah. That. So he was trained to look straight ahead and use your eyes. So it's it's tough acting with like just the idea of having people holding their hands yeah. up and you at your ankles or whatever and you have this narrow little walkway to be like I better be going in the right direction today. Oh yeah, it's also like it's it's early beginnings of what we're in now. Like you got to think of like these kind of actors who are working the Muppets. It's basically what people work with CG now. Like you're just acting with something that's that's de- kind of there well, but not there like it's not the final product what what i always weirdly compared it to is i think michael kane's performance in this is comparable to um 
Bob Hoskins. Because mm-hmm. if you look at some of the behind the scenes, specifically when he's in Toontown, yeah, it's just acting there's the him. sequence where he's falling and he's talking to Mickey Mouse and, and Bugs Bunny. Yeah. And it's literally just sticks. Yeah. And he's just on the ground pretending to fall. And Bob Hoskins nails it. Bob Hoskins does an amazing job performing to things that are not there. And I think Michael Caine is very similar. He's acting to non-humans and he's nailing it despite all the technical issues. It's a little different because at least he has performers. He has something to react to. But like you said, he's still having to remember exactly what steps he needs to take or else he falls like a solid six feet into the ground, you know, and things like that. Because outside of, I think, the great Muppet caper with Charles Grodin, who I think everyone loves in that one, is that mostly the the actors are like cameos acting Uh, with the Muppets for most of the time. I mean, uh, the next film, uh, Treasure Island. Yeah, but before, I'm talking about before this, before before this, before this, I mean. Absolutely. Before it was very much like the Muppet show where it was just bring on the person for a brief cameo. Yeah, I mean, Michael Caine, Bob Hoskins, Charles Grodin, they walked the rest of the industry could run. That's what I have to say. That's what happened. Um, talking about the innovation of the, of some of these movies, also while on set, they came with a few innovative ways to showcase the Muppets. The two big examples appeared with the Ghost of Christmas Past and the Tis the Season sequence. So for the Ghost of Christmas Past, they shot all of her scenes in a water tank to capture the floating nature, uh, capture the flowing nature of the character. The tank was initially filled with baby oil. However, after the first shots were done, they realized the baby oil was difficult to clean. And it proved to be it proved to be more expensive to do. So the rest of the shots were done with the puppet in water. Yeah, it's more expensive. <laughs> Baby oil bottle of water. Which one? Got, I, all right. So yeah, they were just like, oh, we shouldn't do that, and so they did that. So yeah, that's how that effect came, and they like they composited it in in the final thing. So so Kane was not acting with the floating puppet, to my knowledge. Maybe he was, but they added that in later. Um, the most impressive sequence of the film for the time with its puppeteering was in Tis the Season, where you see Kermit walking down the street with Tiny Tim on his shoulder. Brian said that his father, Jim, always liked doing something new with Kermit to make him seem more more realistic, like him riding a bike in one of the previous movies, and kind of, or the bike riding stuff in, in two of the movies. And for this film, Brian wanted to see Kermit walking and dancing. So they placed Kermit on a rolling barrel that used to its roles mm-hmm. and they had three puppeteers dressed in blue controlling Kermit and Robin, the frog that's on his shoulder, who plays tiny Tim, who's tiny Tim. And they took them out in post to make it like Kermit was walking. They also did a separate shot of the background dolling back. So it looks like Kermit is walking through the streets. And I believe I heard they had a total of 10 puppeteers uh, working on the actual shot to make it fully work with the barrel rolling, the movements of Kermit and Robin and kind of everything that was happening. And if you look closely, you can see the like the curvature, curvature. of it mm-hmm. moving, but it's it's you really have to be looking for it. I'm gonna say like I 100% didn't even think about that. Same. The moment you said barrel, yeah, I went, oh yeah, they did do that. <laughs> and, like thinking of the scene, yeah. I was, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, you, yeah, I can. You see don't that. think that, can, but yeah, that's I what they do. That's, they they, gl- they glued snow onto it, so it looks like he's walking through snow. It's clever. Yeah. So after all that. Production wrapped on August 15th, 1992, and everyone seemed incredibly happy until they weren't. And that moves into Aftermath. So now I want to talk a little bit more in depth on the music of the film. 
because it's a big part of the post-production. Uh, the songs of the film, we haven't said this, were written by Paul Williams, who initially wrote music, Rainbow Connection being the big one for the Muppet movie. We've also mm-hmm. talked about Paul Williams previously on our podcast, The Fan of Paradise, uh, about a year ago. So during the 1970s and 80s, segue into this, Williams had suffered tremendously from alcohol and drug addiction. Um, in an LA Times article from 1992, he stated that he hit absolute rock bottom in 1989 saying he was having full-blown psychotic episodes due to the drugs and alcohol in his system he would check himself into a rehab center and he would become sober i believe in 1990 however during and after this williams found it impossible to write he stated i just couldn't write for a couple years i was terrified so when the muppet christmas carol came along it became especially important for me because it was the first song score that i'd ever written being sober Brian Henson really wanted to work with him because he always thought that Williams's song with Rainbow Connection really elevated the Muppets in a certain way, and he wanted to bring him back for Muppet's Christmas, Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, Williams stated that he loved working with Jim Henson on the earlier projects, but Brian was different in how he worked. While Jim didn't want to hear any of the songs to the recording session, Brian wanted to hear everything during the early stages. Williams still would state that he was a very impressive director, and he also stated that luckily Henson loved all the songs they were doing. The song that was talked about the most amongst cast and crew was the heartbreaking ballad Williams wrote for the turning point. It really is the midpoint of the film, by the way, of the film, When Love is Gone. When the film was being tested for audiences, it seems that kids did not like the song because it was slow and it was the only song that did not include any of the Muppets. Disney executive Jeffrey Katzenberg ordered for the song to be cut from the film because the issues that were being set at the test screening and he wanted the film to be shorter in some way. Both Henson and Paul Williams fought against this decision, but they were finally forced to cut the song. Henson agreed to cut it as long as Disney agreed to allow him to put it back in for the video release. So they actually talk about in articles at one point with Paul Williams, like right after the release, he's like, yeah, they cut our great song, but luckily it's in the home video release. So hopefully people get to see it. And for a while, many people believed the negative of the film had been lost for this sequence of the movie. It only been on the VHS mm-hmm. releases and the full screen DVD release, I believe is what it was. And, and Brian Henson even said a few, like two or three years ago that like they can't find it. I always check with checking with them and they've lost the print of the movie with that cut in it. But last year, Disney archives found it and they're planning on restoring it fully for the future 4k release of the film in 2022. So hopefully by next Christmas, it'll be on Disney plus in its entirety and not on the extra sex sex sequence where it's the kind of VHS rip of it. So hopefully it's there. The film Muppet Christmas Carol was finally released on December 11th, 1992, six months after it started production. Disney Studios had high hopes for the film because it was their widest released film of the 1992 holiday season. It was the second widest released movie under the Disney banner that year. The film, however, would open its opening weekend at sixth for the weekend in the middle of a very crowded holiday season. That same weekend, A Few Good Men opened, but they're also dealing with the previous or the the returning champs of Home Alone 2 Lost in New York and also dealing with the bodyguards starring Whitney Houston and Aladdin was also playing at that time. They were all opening or still holding strong during the holiday months. The film would eventually become a modest success, grossing $27 million at the box office and would also receive fairly good reviews from critics with it now sitting at 76% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
The film's legacy has continued to endure with audiences being both a Christmas favorite and a Muppet favorite. Um, and some of the puppeteers call it their favorite because it feels like a love letter to Jim Henson's legacy as a whole. Um, and I think also too, with kind of our generation of people, it's the first one that came out, at least for me, it's the first one that came out in my lifetime with the Muppet Christmas Carol. And it's also, it's the rise of vid it's home rentals as well. Cause you gotta think about that. It's like the other ones came out. They weren't home videos really yet. I don't think 84 video rentals were not as accessible as they were in 92 or 93 when this probably came out on VHS and Laserdisc. Um, and yeah, so with that, with that and Treasure Island, like Treasure Island, I saw Treasure Island in theaters. So like I saw that in theaters, so I know I saw this on VHS many times. So yeah, I think it, it hits home with like the people who are now in their like late twenties and in their thirties of like this was their kind of made intro into the Muppets. And that's what's also kind of weird for some people when they see these kind of the irreverent comedy of the Muppets now when they try to do something a little bit different. It feels like oh, but like where's the Christmas Carol? Muppets um so yeah but that goes into our next section what worked about this movie like we've already I think we've already tipped our hand on a lot of the what works That's fine. Uh, for me several of the songs like I said Marley and Marley the first the very first one when love is gone uh feels like Christmas um even the last one, the very last one, feels like it's not as memorable. When love is found. When love is found. Uh, yeah, the just Michael Caine singing and bringing yeah. four hundred billion people to the Cratchit's house. Oh, that one. Gotcha. Different one. The casting of which Muppets are which? Yeah, that's fair. Was actually perfect. I mean, how perfect is it that you have a Fozzie Bear and a Fezzy Wig? Yeah, whom they re rename Fozzie Wig for the film that that's just that's just serendipity <laughs> but statler statler and waldorf being the marley's and even you know they say oh who's the weirdest one that it would be charles dickens gonzo i feel like was perfect because <laughs> he is as as a member of the muppets he's the one who's whole thing is being weird and different yeah and you're playing an omniscient narrator <laughs> and i will say this when we talk to to expand on the narrator thing i think you said it before but this is like the only one maybe or at least up until this point that features the narrator yeah and if you go and read the original story the narrator is hugely important and is definitely a character. It's baffling to me that no one had thought about doing it that doing that before. Mm -hmm. And I think Gonzo in that role, because he is the weirdo Muppet who is different, who isn't who's literally an alien. Yeah. Uh, as we learned two movies later, that that made so much sense to me. Yeah. And still does. Like, just as a Muppet fan and as a fan of just a good movie. Yeah. yeah those things really work well yeah. to me. Yeah, I, ha I have I have the script adaptation as kind of one of my top things. I have the Muppet performers, I think, really hit it out of the park with like kind of coming up as the first thing after Jim Henson's death or first movie after Jim Henson's death. And Michael Caine. I think Michael Caine really nails this role of Scrooge where he's becoming, again, out of our generation, probably the most famous, one of the most, if not the most famous, one of the most famous versions of the character of Scrooge. Um, I do like the humor of it too. I think I think the Rizzo and Gonzo stuff back and forth is great, yeah. and Rizzo just being like, "How do you do that?" 
But I even <laughs> love just like the one there's a great little throwaway bit when Scrooge gets up on Christmas morning and is just so excited and he looks in the mirror like, I'm alive. Go, oh, God. And like keeps walking. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at his hair and he's like, I'm alive. Oh, like yeah. And walked away. I think it was great. So I think the, they, I think the humor is great. Yeah, they, they do sneak in those Muppet sensibilities into the... I it, I don't know why it made me laugh, but there's this hilarious... just There's just stupid little bit when they land at the schoolyard mm-hmm. in the beginning of the Christmas past stuff, and a cat shows up and starts chasing Rizzo, and Rizzo randomly just says, I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> like, why? What is, you, oh, the cat's going to be like, oh, you're from New Jersey. Jersey. I don't want to eat you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I even love the bit where it's like. I don't even know what it's supposed to be. When he's making, when Rizzo's jumping off the uh, the, the gate. And he's just yeah. like, I'm going to die. <laughs> he's like, oh, I forgot my jelly beans. And then just walks over there. Just walks and Gon- through and Gonzo's the gate. like. You could walk through the bars? What? Yeah, I think humor. I think I think they're great. I think they're phenomenal. It's good. I think Gonz. I think Gonz and Rizzo. They're great. Great mm-hmm. comedic duo. So, does anything not work about this movie, Sean? I think I've hinted at it before that some of the songs, and you, 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 you and I agree. Some of the songs are too many of the same. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's less that, but I, a hundred percent understand that. Yeah. For me, for me, it's just that they don't do much. Yes. That's like, my point. I think yeah. One more night till Christmas. I understand why this happens. And like, it, it's interesting how musicals mm-hmm. are, fi- musical films are released in the win- in Christmas, around Christmas time. Yeah. Constantly. That's just when musicals are released. Sweeney Todd did it. Nothing to do with Christmas. You know, uh, Les Miserables, et cetera. Whether they have to do with Christmas or not. And this one is one of the rare ones that actually does have to do with Christmas. A movie musical about Christmas. Yeah. When you think about it, there's not very many. Yeah. There's not very many of them. So, the the and, and I understand why they had to put in extra songs. Not just because it's a musical, but also because this is a very short story. Yeah. This is a, like, I think it's hilarious that they say at the beginning, they're like, based on the novel by Charles Dickens, I'm like novels a severe yeah, it's, 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 no, it's, it's a novella it's novella it is i to me novella is a stretch too it is a short story it's five chapters one for each it's like yeah. introduction marley uh Pat, no, it's Stat, like it's, it's, yeah. it's marley past present future resolution yeah the end and it it's a super quick read i did it myself like like in a day less than a day you know of being distracted so they have to pad it with songs and unfortunately i think that like one more sleep till christmas that one in particular is i think the weakest one uh the one that they sing at the table at the cratchit's house oh yeah is fine but it doesn't do much for me it's Mm -hmm. not super memorable one more sleep till Christmas is the one that I think works the least because it doesn't reveal anything about the characters and it, it it's it really does just show off Muppets being Muppets, yeah. which having fun. Oddly enough, for the criticism of there are no Muppets in the human singing part, the fact that there were no humans in that <laughs> moment felt odd, strange. Scrooge is missing entirely, the, and and not just Scrooge, but like background humans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There are no background. Yeah, you're right. Either. You're right. Um, it's just Muppets, and it's like, well, that it feels separated, yeah. and it doesn't further the plot. It doesn't really 
like the one it's sung at the Cratchit's house. At the very least, you can make bless the us, that yeah, bless us all. It's part of yeah, yeah, and, and, and you can make the argument that at the very least, Scrooge is watching, and it's part of his emotional mm-hmm. journey to see them having togetherness, to see that kind of camaraderie between your fellow humans. I will also say, I think that one other thing they could have added that they cut, uh, you know, time cut for time. I'm sure they could have added Belle into Christmas present. Interesting. Because she is in the original story. Scrooge is taken to Belle and Scrooge sees Belle happy with a husband, with children. Interesting. You know? Yeah. And I think that that could have been an, a, a very interesting emotional moment. Yeah. But we already had the issue of them cutting the most interesting emotional moment yeah. of the song. So it wouldn't have worked with the cut that they had made. Yeah. But if, if, if we were to, like, fully flesh it out and keep that original song in, I think that would have been a good moment for Kane. But... Hollywood is Hollywood. Yeah, when yeah, we're looking at the, the 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 soundtrack, I didn't realize. So they have when Love Is Gone. That again happens at track ten, mm-hmm. uh, and they cut they cut. There's also two songs, two other songs that were cut from the movie, by the way, too. That were recorded. One was shot. One was not. We'll talk about that later. Um, and then it ends. Martina McBride does a cover of it, and that ends it. And like that, mm-hmm. that says to me like this is the song we're going for the Oscar. Like that's your beauty and the yeah. that's your beauty and the beast. That's your like Prince of Egypt one. Like that's your song. Like you have the kind of big pop song or, or kind of big music star sing over the credits, so you can, so you can play on the radio and, and be now for an Oscar. And that's the song that's cut. And that's my number one thing that doesn't work for this movie. It cuts that song. <laughs> it just it it bothers me so much. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you're right. One thing too, a nitpick with this. Some of the sets in certain moments look, look fake. I mean, they look like a Muppet set. Like that, that one that bothers me, and they even talk about it. I think I, I read Brian Henson talk about. It. He's like, "Yeah, we couldn't get away with it, but like, hopefully, no one really notices." And like, they just end the song, and that's it. Feels like Christmas, where that's a crane up because yeah, they basically built the sets where like they get smaller as they go back to have like the horizontal kind of like into the into the horizon type thing. But in that one, you just see them like get smaller and smaller like a lot so too quickly and it's a big crane shot and it just feels like you're on a set i'm gonna be honest didn't notice yeah that's fine <laughs> like i'm i'm so focused on the the character singing that I and, that, and, and that, that's that proves brian henson's point that like hope that yeah. no one will probably notice because they're in the moment of the song but yes yeah, so that, that that's my stuff so we'll move on to all universe cast the actors who are up for this role so there were several english actors up for it that, that were talked about like peter o'toole from lawrence Arabia. One American actor, one American comedian was up for it or was talked about, and that was George Carlin for Scrooge. Very different tone. I would have been interested to see a George Carlin's version of Scrooge yeah. in a different movie. <laughs> but not this not, one. Not in this not one, this one no. yeah. Uh The last name in an interview, looking back on it, Brian Henson said that he also thought about one other person uh, for the role of Scrooge, but he felt he might be too comedic for the version they were doing, but he would later cast him in another movie. And that was Tim Curry, who was pretty comedic in that other movie. Yeah. That's why I cast him in Muppet Treasure Island. So yeah. Uh, so on to film facts. So as I said earlier, first movie where Kermit is not the lead role and it's a human. This would also be the first film and the two co-productions that Jim Henson company and Walt Disney studios do. The second being Muppet Treasure Island. Michael Eisner, who tried to purchase 
the company back in 1989 finally got the Muppets for Walt Disney Studios in 2004, 15 yeah. years later. Uh, this time, the price tag, which was initially $150 million, was now $75 million. So half. And that's entirely because Muppets from Space flopped. I suspect that's what dropped the price because it's a pretty good property. Yeah, and I think they're also like they're 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 trying to get I mean Jim Henson was a big part of that at that moment in time. Like he was he was pretty yeah. hot uh in that period. And I think too when they were initially doing it back in the eighties, the big part was like di- was Disney themed rides. So that's why had that's Muppet Vision three D and uh, Orlando came from that deal because they had more ideas for it. And I think maybe it was just like after in the nineties, they kind of, and again, after lost after Muppets in space, like the visibility or the, the, um, the love for them have gone down. Like, Oh, we can't use them in the parks as much. Like we planned on initially. Um, there are two more songs. They said they were on the soundtrack, but aren't in the movie at all. One is called room in your heart sung by Dr. Honeydew and his assistant Beaker as the charity workers. (laughs) The The other is chairman of the board sung by Sam the Eagle as Scrooge's headmaster. Chairman of the board was apparently shot, according to Brian Henson, but the other was not. There were at least 280 Muppets used in the film. Like, actual characters. 280 Muppets in the film. Um, The ending scene, where Fred is sitting at the table for the feast with Scrooge, um, but there's one thing, though, that people notice, is that Fred's wife, Clara, is not there. Uh, apparently Brian Henson would get letters and countless fans asking about what happened to Clara in the movie. Some believe she had died, which wouldn't make sense because you just saw her. Oh, <laughs> like a few minutes she died before. of shock yeah. when, she, when, when <laughs> Scrooge hugged her and she just died of shock. Well, others believed she had left Fred and refused to go see Scrooge, showing that Fred was destined to have the same fate as his uncle. In actuality, the actress Robin Weaver was unavailable for filming that day. So, yeah, that's why it was. That's always the answer when you got a big shot like that. I love, yeah, I love that there's just like fan theories for this movie back in 1992 of like, wait, did Clara die? I'm going to be honest. Never noticed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am not one. I read that and no I was letter. like, oh, weird. And so I watched this. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, She's not in there. I'm not even sure I noticed Fred was sitting at the he table. He is. At yeah. That point. The guy who looks like a young Paul Bettany. Like, yeah, he's there. All right, last last thing on film facts. Uh, in the one more sleep till Christmas, it ends with Kermit looking up at a shooting star in the sky. Brian Henson did this as a tribute to his dad because it was done in the Muppet movie, and it's since become a reoccurring tradition within the Muppet franchise for a st- shooting star to happen in the sky. But yeah, I actually when watching that, I was like, huh, I wonder what that was about. It's nice to know that that's what that that's was. what it was. Yeah. And I think they, they do it. They do it in a few TV specials. I think it's done in Treasure Island. I, know, I think it's done in the Muppets. I know as well. All right, it moves on to story questions. One thing I had that I was just wondering this time: How long does it take for Scrooge to walk to his house? This is a very nitpick for me because, like, it's so funny to me that he's walking after like everyone else is like they've they, they've gone home. They've done one more sleep till Christmas, and he finally gets there, and it's just like no one's out anywhere. Yeah, I think that's borrowed i think one it's basically just a rewind of time yeah right like like okay now we got that side let's see what happened to scrooge it it, has happened a little bit ago yeah i think the other thing is in the original story it talks about how dark how like abnormally dark it is 
they, they talk about like it, it talks about how even Scrooge, who knows every cobblestone, who knows everything about his property, is actually reaching out with his hands to make sure he's not running into something. The streets being completely empty, I think, is sort of symbolic of the darkness. It's like he's in this supernatural alone moment. Okay. But I just thought like, no one's out and like the next morning, like everyone's out doing yeah. things. And I'm just kind of like, man, on Christmas morning, everyone I know is just like inside, not doing anything. <laughs> I didn't be the opposite. Yeah. I feel like, honestly, if you live, say like where I do across the street from a grocery store, you'll find there are quite a few people <laughs> out and about, especially if the grocery store is open. Yeah. Because uh, I thought the grocery store would be closed on Thanksgiving day. Oh no, they're not. I looked outside. They're not. Cars, cars, cars all the time. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, do Clara and Fred name their child, if they have a child, name it Ebenezer? That was one question I had. I don't know. Would that be his middle name or her middle name? I don't, I don't know. It could be a he, it could be she. I will say that the story of the name Ebenezer Scrooge is Dickens was like in Scotland, I think, and saw a gravestone and misread it. And his name was like Ebenezer Scrooge or something mm-hmm. like that. It was very similar, just not the same name, but it was similar enough. You can see where the yeah, yeah. origin says. And it says, a mean man <laughs> on the gravestone. Okay. He misread it. It was actually a meal man, as in a man who like worked at the mill. Yeah. And made. That's what prompted Dickens to start writing the story is, why <laughs> would you what put would that? You, what would you have done in life to have a mean man written on your gravestone? Yeah. And so he come up comes up with Ebenezer Scrooge. That said, Ebenezer's such a strange name. <laughs> I don't know that you're gonna Eb. put it in your kids. Evan Ebby. <laughs> Evan Ebby are their kids' and, names. One uh, thing one thing I had to bring up, and I, I can't really answer it or anything, but like I the the rules of Gonzo as the narrator are always kind of odd to me. Cause it's just like, do they know he's there? Cause sometimes I feel like they reference him, sometimes they don't. Like he he is referenced once i think by scrooge at the end when scrooge is fully changing he's merry christmas seeing everybody he pats them on the head mm. and says merry christmas to to gonzo and rizzo mm-hmm. otherwise i think they're just invisible through it. well they, well they have a cat they have the cat who goes up to rizzo true but cats see i have a cat and they see things that we they don't see, so i feel we, like that that's a rule i of have cats ghosts everywhere in my apartment they see him all the time exactly it's i don't know what he's looking at but it's something <laughs> that that's just some fourth wall like fluctuation i know i know you know it's a nitpick any other questions you have i, I would say the only other again another one that's like Maybe it, I wish there was a way that we could have had this is kind of sort of is I wish that we could have had his sister Scrooge's sister. Yeah. I, yeah. We never. Young. Yeah. Yeah. We never see because we just know his only living relative is his nephew. And we don't see how the connection is. I like he does in in the original story, his sister is a part of the story in Christmas past. And there's also this this moment where it, it's completely changed for the Muppets, and it would have been too dark, I'm sure, but there's a thing in the original story where it seems to imply that uh, Scrooge was basically disowned by his father Yeah. until much later in his school years, and his sister shows up and says, Father has changed. You can come home now. Yeah. He's much nicer now. And it's like, uh, whoa, <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting... And that's an interesting look into maybe 
where some of Scrooge's uh, cruelty comes from. and soli- uh, solitude mm-hmm. comes from. His shutting off of his emotions comes from growing up abandoned by his family, by a cruel father, or whatever. But yeah, again, it's a shorter film. You can't really include it. Moving on to awards. Um, mm-hmm. Beatrice Strait Award, actor, actress, or puppet with limited scenes that kills it. So this is the one where I would like to give it to Meredith Braun. Okay. So, and I feel, so Meredith Braun, I think we mentioned before, she this is her only movie, uh, according to what I have on IMDb. She has some TV work. Some of them are probably... A couple. She has one TV movie. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at. She's in something called. Oh, she's in a soap opera called The Doctors. Yes, yeah, which is a British, I, I believe. Um, she's oh. got a little bit of TV work, but she's largely a stage actress. I think she played in Les Mis in 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 a tour. Yeah, she, uh, on West End. She did Les Mis on West yeah. End. She did a family opera on West End as Christine. So she's she's actually a pretty decently sized name on stage. Yeah. And I think that she did really well. That song, again, shouldn't have been cut. But that is... There there aren't very many, I think, people or Muppets that qualify for this award. And I think that that scene kills I'll go with it. it. I'll go with you. Yeah, yeah. I, wasn't, I, was, I wasn't considering the deleted scene as part of it. But yeah, if we're including the deleted scene, yeah, I agree with uh, she She is steel. I mean, I grew up with that deleted scene not being deleted. So to me... <laughs> It was an incredibly, incre- incredibly memorable moment, we'll, and I think yeah. it should be noted. You know, all right, I'll I'll go with it. I'll go with it. Meredith Braun. It's a weird. It's this weird thing. Never being awarded be a straight award because of a deleted scene, <laughs> not in the movie. So yeah. there we go. Uh, <laughs> next up, Annie Potts X Factor Award supporting actor, actress, or Muppet that is the most memorable. I mean Dickens. I, yeah, I've got yeah Gonzo, Gonzo is Dickens. yeah that was mine. What they do with his uh, dialogue with coming from the book, coming from the novel, I think really is great, and I think it, it gets the humor and, and and drama of it and the kind of the poetry in Dickens's words, words basically. So, yeah. Welcome to the Muppet Christmas Carol. I am here to tell the story, and I am here for the food. My name is Charles Dickens, and my name is Rizzo the Rat. Hey, wait a second. You're not Charles Dickens. I am, too. No, a blue furry Charles Dickens who hangs out with a rat. Absolutely. Charles Dickens was a 19th century novelist, a genius. Oh, you were too kind. Why should I believe you? Well, because I know the story of A Christmas Carol like the back of my hand. Prove it. All right. Um, there's a little mole on my thumb and, uh... A scar on my wrist from when I fell off my bicycle. No, 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 no. Don't tell us your hand. Tell us the story. Oh, oh, thank you. Yes. The Marleys were dead to begin with. Oh, uh, pardon me? That's how the story begins, Rizzo. The Marleys were dead to begin with. As dead as a doornail. It's a good beginning. It's creepy and kind of spooky. Oh, thank you, Rizzo. You're welcome, Mr. Dickens. All right, the Gene Hackman MVP award. The person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. It's Michael Caine. It's Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. I think that so many people did very well in this. Brian Henson in his first. Yeah. Jerry Jewell with the screenwriting. All the Muppeteers. Steve Whitmire in his first appearance as Kermit, I think, actually did a great job. Irrespective of the later controversies that would be Steve Whitmire's performances as Kermit. Mm-hmm. So many people nailed it. But Michael Caine, and I think Michael Caine maybe didn't even realize how well he did 
because you were talking about how he was like this would be the funniest choice i'm not i'm not thinking about these as funny choices like sometimes it's funny but to me it's just he he you can you see the journey of scrooge and i think that his pacing as an actor of scrooge's slow turn toward humanity mm-hmm. and decency the pacing that he does as an actor is i think even better than how dickens wrote it cuz i think dickens sort of fluctuated back and forth with some sharp turns sometimes mm-hmm. in the in the in the original story and i think michael caine you can see this is his empathy i think that, that yeah there's no other answer but michael it's fair my I, Bo, brian henson i think has a lot of pressure coming in i will say oh, to, to argue him for a bit uh to direct the first movie post jim henson's passing to tackle kind of the muppets again um mm-hmm. I, I, but as i said before i feel like if you don't have michael Caine in this movie i i wholeheartedly believe that the movie does not work at all because i think it is difficult to imagine yeah i think he he walks a tightrope fairly well and i and, and i mean it's like again you got to think this time like again now i said before like we're so used to people acting opposite tennis balls or nothing that's there or mannequins or just people in in like see like uh mocap suits or whatever and matches that he's having to work with puppets. And I'm not saying that the puppeteers aren't actors in their own right, but like that's not something you're trained to do in acting school. Like to my knowledge, not, not when I went did acting like to work with, with that. So I, I think, and, and because it's also like, it's inherently comedic. The Muppets are mm-hmm. to be so straight laced and serious and stone cold serious, basically in the role. I think it's hard. Every, every other performer you can see is having a fun time mm-hmm. with being in the Muppets in the previous films. Steve Martin, Mel Brooks, Orson Welles in the original Muppets, uh, Richard Pryor. Uh, tons of cameos in that one, Elliot Gould. Uh, and then and then Charles Grodin, as you mentioned before, a big main actor in that. He, he, he has this love triangle with Miss Piggy. Yeah. That, but it still feels like he's performing to Miss Piggy, the Muppet. Like he, rec- yeah. Like even Charles Grodin's serious character, he's clearly into the, the Muppet. Yeah, which is weird but fun. Uh, yeah, it, they. It feels like they know and they're having fun. Whereas Michael Caine comes in, and you could replace every single one of the Muppets with a real human, and his performance would not change at all. <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, please, spirit, no. Hear me, I'm not the man I was. Why would you show me this if I was past all hope? (laughs) I I will honor Christmas and try to keep it all the year. (laughs) I will live my life in the past, the present, and the future. I will not shut out the lessons the spirits have taught me. Tell me that I may sponge out the writing on this stone. <laughs> oh, spirit, please speak to me. <laughs> All right, we have the final questions. Recast it. Now that we've said that no one could replace Michael Let's replace Kane, Michael Caine. Let's imagine it. Let's imagine it. <laughs> if, if it was remade today, who would you cast? Only in the role of Ebenezer Scrooge. Only in that Only, one? Unless you have more. The, there, the only other one that I thought when I was watching it was that Fred had some Eddie Redmayne energy. Okay. Sure. 
it's a complete waste. <laughs> sure, any, any red main. It's just, it, it's just, I, it, it's just something I thought of when I was rewatching it. The only answer I can come up with for this is Patrick Stewart. Yeah, and he's played and it, and he's played it before. Is, yeah, yeah. He has played Scrooge before, like maybe Ian McKellen, but I think Patrick Stewart can do mean better than Ian McKellen can. I think that they are both just powerhouse actors. Yeah. Absolutely. And I would love to see Ian audition. I would love to see their auditions. You know, I guess I've seen Patrick Stewart in more dramatic, serious roles more recently with Logan, his turn, yeah. his final turn as uh, Professor Xavier, really emotional, nuanced role. Yeah. So in my mind, we're looking for a British person. We're looking for somebody. He's done Scrooge before, so he knows the material. He's done Scrooge twice, actually. He's done at least twice because he did a radio. He's done. Uh, he's in a movie. He's in a movie. He's in a, a theater show, and I guess a radio thing too. He's done several. Yeah. So, to that, that's all I got is Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart was my initial thing, but also that's too obvious. Really? Okay. Um, too obvious. Okay. <laughs> so, call my, me. My net. Cool. It's okay. It's <laughs> Uh, that's fine uh no, no no it's fine i figured you'd pick patrick stewart i figured you'd pick patrick stewart i i love being so here here here, here are my two choices <laughs> one one you should like i don't know if you'll like him as scrooge but you'll like that picked him hugh laurie oh i love that you picked him yeah no hugh laurie as you know as probably everybody knows everybody that knows me is one of my favorite actors yeah. uh very multi-talented guy and uh i like seeing him in stuff i just love seeing him in things and i think he he can do the comedy he can do the drama it would be weird to me i think i have the same hesitation that brian henson had about tim curry it's weird to me the idea of hugh laurie being in the muppets and not getting to be just funny because he that's where he started i'll follow up this more dramatics i have a second all right gary oldman (sighs) problematic favorites aside uh with the problematic part, he does really well as an actor, mm-hmm. and he does transform into his different roles really well. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that the Winston Churchill and the guy from The Fifth Element with the chocolate melting hair or whatever yeah. are the same person is bizarre. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, I guess I could see it. Yeah. yeah. I have another one. It's a little bit younger though. My last one, okay. Paul Bettany. He's a good actor. <laughs> You're not giving me much here, Sean. <laughs> Look, I, this is the, the like we like we said inherently trying to imagine anyone that Michael Caine is so hard. It really is so hard. You're talking about the the you have to have someone who's a really good, really strong actor who will commit to the bit. I will say, Paul Bettany, honestly, probably has some of the better experience. With his MCU stuff, having to act yeah. with computer, like himself in a weird getup and all this stuff, and having to act serious through all that nonsense, you know. So he actually does have that that sort of experience with, yeah, acting, performing, being serious, being very deadpan and very serious yeah. in a weird acting situation. So, so let's go. I think Paul Bettany is actually a fascinating choice. Okay, let's go, Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany's Ebenezer Scrooge. All right. Uh, does this film fit with any other genres? I will still argue, and I think you are correct, that, and we've talked about it a little bit in passing, 
it doesn't do the musical thing as well as it could. Yeah. There are musicals that movie musicals that are not as good as they could be, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I think this one does have flaws, but it has music at the beginning. It has music at the end, like which is something that not all of them do. Like it has different songs and it does have emotional moments that deleted scene absolutely should be in there. Mm -hmm. It is definitely a musical. And, you know, it's got a hint of horror. But it's that's gothic. Dickin- it's gothic. It, it's it. That's Dickens. Dickens yeah. put a hint of horror in it, and I'm ju- I'm just saying, the Christmas yet to come spirit creeped me out as a child. I think I mentioned it before. Rewatching it, still kind of creepy. And then, how does this film fit with the Christmas genre? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it is, is the Christmas. Genre. It is the Christmas genre. Like as you guys have said, this and and there there's academia to potential argue but yeah this story is so influential to the christmas genre to the secular christmas yeah. genre clearly there's a different story for a different yeah, yeah. story yeah, yeah you know but this secularized and and just the plot and the characterization yeah. this is where so many of those tropes begin i completely it's it's the the christmas carol the original story is kind of the cornerstone and i do think it's a good adaptation i think it's a good entry point for people in the christmas genre especially who just love the Muppets. Um, I think that's it on the Muppets Christmas Carol. So next episode, we are talking about, I think actually the most popular film on our Christmas list on Letterboxd, uh, and that is Home Alone, which released in 1990, written by John Hughes, directed by Chris Columbus. Uh, so stay tuned for that next week. I believe that's on Disney Plus. Yeah, it will be on Disney Plus as well. Two Disney Plus movies back to back. So go check that out. Um, but that's all we have for this episode. If you're a fan of the show or a new listener, make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast so you can stay up to date on all our new episodes. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you write us a review on whatever platform you listen to the show on. Because, again, give us a Christmas gift, holiday gift, whatever, five-star reviews. That's what we need. Uh, whatever you put out there will will help gain traction for us. And it just helps people find us easier if you're talking about us. So please do that. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that jazz. Sean, thank you for coming back on and talking with me about another musical. No problem. We'll see if we do another one at some point soon. Um, And thank you all for listening. We hope to listen to more episodes soon. Bye.